Now, as many of you know, we are part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. That's our family of Alliance churches. And we have over 2,000 churches around the U.S., over 20,000 worldwide. And at the beginning of 2021, the Alliance called us to enter into 40 days of prayer. So this is week two of 40 days of prayer. In week one, we talked about the attributes of God and the character qualities of God and focused in on God's holiness. And now today is about a word in scripture, a word that often gets a bad reputation. And this word gets a bad reputation because it's been used in signs and sermons and social settings in pretty negative connotations. You've probably heard it yelled in anger, preached with fire, and often used to push people away from God instead of drawing them in. This is not a word that we use in our common vernacular. It's not something that you say over dinner per se, but it is a word that is incredibly positive and if acted on can transform your life, your past, your present, your future. It can take you from a path of self-destruction to blessing, from being self-centered to service and significance. And this word I'm talking about is repentance. Repentance. And I want to talk to you about how true repentance transforms your life. True repentance transforms your life. So let's define repentance. According to the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, repentance can be defined as literally a change of mind, not about individual plans, intentions, or beliefs but rather a change in the whole personality from a sinful course of action to God. True repentance transforms your whole life. Repentance goes beyond behavior, beyond thoughts, beyond beliefs, and it changes the whole course of one's personality and life. When you repent, there's a change of direction, yes, but more deeply, a very change in who you are. Your life was headed in one direction, and now your life and who you are goes in another direction. And for those who repent, there's life, hope, and healing. Now, on the other side, for those who choose not to repent and reject repentance, rejecting repentance disconnects you from God and others. Throughout history, a, a call to repent was not always warmly received because people want to do their own thing. They don't necessarily want to be told by someone else or even by God how they should live their life. If we look across the pages of scripture, I've heard it said like this. Noah's message from the steps of the ark were not something good is going to happen to you. Amos was not confronted by the high priests of Israel for proclaiming confession is possession. Jeremiah was not put in, in a pit for preaching, I'm okay and you're okay. John the Baptist was not in the wilderness and eventually beheaded because he preached, smile, God loves you. The two prophets of the tribulation will not be killed for preaching, God is in heaven and all is good with the world. Instead, again and again, these people were persecuted and ostracized because they preached this one concept of repent. And the reality is, it's hard for us to repent. It's hard for us to allow God to change the trajectory of our lives. A story is told about the granddaughter of Aaron Burr. And many of you might be familiar with who Aaron Burr is 
from the musical Hamilton. Hamilton and Aaron Burr were the ones who got in a duel. And in that duel, Aaron Burr killed Alexander Hamilton. Now, at one point, Aaron Burr's granddaughter went to an evangelistic meeting and said yes to Jesus, had her life transformed. And that evening, she came home to her grandfather and said to him that she had given her life to Christ. And in that, she said, I wish you were a Christian too, Grandpa. And Aaron Burr turned towards her and said, when I was a young man, I went to an evangelistic event just like you. I felt my need for God's mercy and forgiveness and knew that I should give my heart to Christ, but I walked out without doing it. As I walked out, I stood under the stars and looked up to heaven and said, God, if you don't bother me, I won't bother you. He then turned to his granddaughter and said, honey, God has kept his half of the bargain. He never bothered me. And now it's too late for me to bother him. He decided that he was unwilling to repent. God is reaching out to you and I. And it's a matter of how we respond. If we repent, our lives can be transformed. If we reject, we become disconnected from God and from others. In Romans 2.4, we read, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Or his kindness leads us to repentance. God is not being harsh and judgmental and controlling. He is being kind to us. Or we read in 2 Peter 3.9, again, where we read, the, the Lord isn't really slow about his promise. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. It's his kindness. It's his patience. It's his tolerance. It's his love for us that should draw us in to allow him to transform our lives through repentance. Repentance is positive. Repentance transforms us. Now in the Bible, we see leading up to the ministry of Jesus, there was a gentleman named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's calling was to prepare the way for the Lord. And in preparing the way for the Lord, John the Baptist called people to repentance. We read in Luke 9, verse 8, that the, John says to this crowd of people, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way you live that you have truly repentance. Repentance is not something that you do in church that doesn't affect the right rest of your life. It's not something that you do in your prayer closet and it doesn't come out into the rest of your home. True repentance transforms you to your very core and the world around you. So how does repentance transform you? Well, if we, we read on about John the Baptist, that's the same question that people asked him as they came to him for this baptism for repentance. We read first of the crowds and the crowds say, what should we do with this whole repentance thing? And John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. 
If you are, if you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Then the corrupt tax collectors came and were baptized, and they said, "Teacher, what should we do?" And he said, "Said to them, collect no more taxes than the government requires." Then soldiers came to him and said the same thing. What should we do? John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. In all three of these examples, John tells the crowds, the tax collectors, the soldiers, that the fruit of repentance should be a change in the way you live and interact with other people. You are living one way, and now because you repented, you begin to live another way. When we look at what John tells them to change, much of this is focused on selfishness and greed. That these people are being selfish and greedy, and he says change to an attitude and a position of generosity and service. Clearly, when we read in that passage, the crowds were not sharing with the poor. Tax collectors were exploiting people. Soldiers were extorting others through false accusations. But when they repented, the apostle or John the Baptist said to them, you should change from selfishness and greed to generosity and service. Now we look at another story in scripture where Jesus goes to the city of Jericho. And in the city of Jericho, he encounters a man named Zacchaeus. And if you've grown up in the church, you probably have the song in your head right now, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. But with that song, it talks about how Zacchaeus was a short guy, so he climbed a tree to be able to see Jesus. And as Jesus comes into the city, he sees Zacchaeus up in this tree, and he says to Zacchaeus, I'm going to come and eat at your house today. Now, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And as Jesus invited himself over, the crowds began to say things and said, why is Jesus going to such a notorious sinner's house? And what kind of sins would a tax collector or a chief tax collector be known for? Well, for one, any tax collector would have been working for the occupying force, the Roman government, and taxing the Jewish people. So it is a Jew working for the occupying force and taking money and extorting money. Now, a chief tax collector would have been one that was in charge of many other tax collectors. So this person wasn't just extorting one. He had people working for him and extorting others too. So he would have made his living off of exploiting many people. And Jesus invites himself over to this gentleman's house. Zacchaeus is excited to have Jesus in. The crowds are angry. But watch what happens in Luke chapter 19, verses 8 to 10. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Zacchaeus's life was transformed. He repented and his behavior began to reflect his repentance. A complete change of life. 
I don't know if you've experienced this yourself or seen somebody else encounter Jesus and have their life transformed. It happened to me, and I've seen it happen to other people. And when you see somebody who's had their life transformed by Jesus, when you meet them again, you know there's something different. It's not that they got some new clothes or a different hairstyle or a new job. No, there's something fundamentally different that has changed on the inside of them. And in this change, you can see that something is different. Now imagine where Zacchaeus lived and worked. Imagine people's perspective of Zacchaeus. That as he walked down the road, people would have gave him the side eye look and know that he was coming to take money from him. Now, the next time Zacchaeus heads out, he said that he is going to give back that what he extorted and even four times more. So imagine a person alongside the road going, here comes Zacchaeus. And instead of Zacchaeus asking for what was required and more, him saying to them, here is what I've extorted from you times four in return. Clearly, people would have identified that this man is different. This is not the same Zacchaeus we knew before. He has repented. His whole life has changed direction. And his community, his neighborhood, those around him would have known. There is a supernatural component to repentance. And it's hard to quantify that when you allow God into the deepest areas of struggle and sin and you confess those sins and you turn from those sins to God, he does this profound, deep work of changing us from the inside out, taking our brokenness and sin and replacing it with supernatural life and joy. St. Francis of Assisi suggested that we should go outside to weep over our faults in order to be ready to meet with joy those who come to draw strength from us. Or as scripture says, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We need to be broken over our own sinful condition. But through that brokenness, then receive the forgiveness joy of Jesus in a powerful way. Repentance cleanses the soul, allows us to approach God in a new way with fresh fresh joy and a filled life. So I ask you, in a kind, loving, humble manner, have you repented of your sins to God? Have you experienced the forgiveness of God? Are there things in your life that you continue to need to repent of? There's many things that I have repented of and continue to repent of in my life. But to help us identify where we need to allow God to transform us, to change the whole trajectory of our life, it's important to identify what sin is and what some general sins are. So a simple definition of sin is anything we think, say, or do which dishonors God. Anything we think, say, or do which dishonors God. In Galatians 5, 19 to 21, we read a list of some sins that we can think, say, or do that dishonor God. And here are some of them. When you, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, 
impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a laundry list of sins. And as I read those sins, I see some of them in my own life, and I can identify some of them in the culture around us. So clearly I can say there's things that I need to continue to repent of, and there's a call that we can put out to the church and the world around us to repent, to turn away from those things that are destroying us and turn back to God. Oftentimes, we can look at that list of sins that we just read and think that somehow that's real life. That's where we're going to find hope and significance and meaning. But the reality is all those things do not bring life, peace, contentment, and joy. They only bring destruction. On the other hand, we continue to read on in Galatians in verses 22 to 23 that the Holy Spirit produces or I like to say even the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against those things. That when we allow God to change us and we repent of our sin, we go from one trajectory to a completely different one. The fruit of repentance brings true life true hope, and healing. There's a story about a little girl who was given a gift of a string of pearls. But these pearls weren't real. They were fake pearls, but this little girl loved them so much. It was her most valuable possession. She loved to put it around her neck and dress up. It was more more pretty than all her dolls and all her bears and all her other toys. Then one night, her dad came in to tuck her into bed. And as he began to talk to her, he said to his daughter, Honey, I see you love that string of pearls. And his daughter said to him, Yes, I love them so much. They're they're my most valuable possession. I love them so much. They go with all my cute outfits. I like them more than all my other toys. And the father looked at her with kindness and love in his eyes and said, Honey, Would you be willing to give that string of pearls to me? And his daughter looked at him and said, Daddy, you know how much I love these pearls. You know that this is my favorite possession. How about you have a teddy bear? (laughs) Or or how about one of my toys instead of the string of pearls? And her father looked at her and said, Honey, I, I really would like the string of pearls. And she said, I, I, don't, I don't think I can give it up. And he said, okay, that's okay. And he tucked her in and kissed her goodnight and continued to love her the same way that he always loved her. Night after night, week after week, sometimes these conversations continued until one night the father came to tuck her into bed. And as he walked into the room, the little girl was sitting on her bed crying. And he walked up to her and said, honey, what's wrong? Are you Okay. And the little girl didn't say anything. She simply held out her hand with a string of pearls in it. 
And the father looked at her and said, do you really want to give these to me? And she nodded her head yes. And her father enveloped her in a warm embrace and said, honey, I love you so much. And and as he hugged her, he reached into his back pocket and pulled out a string of real pearls and handed it to his lovely daughter. The daughter looked out at the string of pearls wide-eyed and said, what is this, dad? And and he said to her, honey, this is a string of real pearls. I've had it for you all along, and I was just simply waiting for you to give up the fake so I could give you the real. Repentance is the same. That when we confess, when we repent of those things that we thought were real life and would give us real life, we're able to actually receive true life from God. Oftentimes we think that the joy that we're looking for is found in sin, but it's actually found in repentance and receiving what God has for us. I heard of two old friends meeting up and one saying to the other, well, Jack, old friend, I heard that you said yes to Jesus. I hear that you've given up all your pleasures. No, no, said Jack. The fact lies the other way. I have just found all my pleasures and given up all my follies. I want us to take a moment here together. And wherever you're at, if you're on live this morning or if you're listening to later, I want you to do a little personal evaluation and ask yourself simply, what are areas in my life that I need to repent of? What are things that I need to allow God into that I've been holding on to that are not actually bringing life, but they're destroying me? Maybe it's division, dissension, sexual immorality. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's something else. But those things and the promise of life will not be found in those. And I want you to think about those things that you need to repent of and then simply offer it to God. Confess it to God and say, God, I confess these things to you that I'm a broken person in need of your forgiveness, and I make a choice to turn away from the things that destroy me and turn to you to find healing, wholeness, and life. Take a moment with God and hear what the Spirit is saying in your own soul and life. And let me pray for you. Father God, I look at my own life and there's a daily need for me to come to you in confession and repentance and humility. Understanding that I need your healing. I need your wholeness. And there's many things that I can allow to remain in my life that are destroying my soul and not bringing life. And I repent of those things.
And God, may we at Neighborhood Church be a people of repentance and a community of repentance that continue to turn away from the things that destroy us and turn to the real giver of life and peace and wholeness. God, I pray that you'd meet with us afresh and new. And as we confess our needs and we confess how we've held on to the fake, that as we release that to you, that you would give us truly what is real. God, may you fill us afresh anew with your joy, with your forgiveness, with your life. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you made a decision for the first time to repent and turn to God this morning, I just simply ask you to indicate that uh, there's a link that Linnea is going to put in the chat that you can go and uh, indicate that in a connect card. And we'd love to follow up with you and celebrate with you the new life that God is giving to you today. And know that we are praying for you and journeying with you.